Let's do it. Welcome to episode 13 of our Blockchain Bandwagon podcast. I'm your host, Chuck Chakuri, founder and CEO of Together MDM. At Together MDM, we offer a blockchain solution for curating a single source of truth for massive data. I'm here with my coach, host, Brian Engel. Hello, Brian. Hey, Chuck. Hey, good to hear you. Um, I'm Brian Engel. I've been a staffing business uh, on the technical side for over 25 years. Crazy to think that. And I just love blockchain stuff and uh, all this. And that's, uh, I was fortunate enough to have Chuck uh, invite me to join him on a pot, be a co-host on a podcast on something I enjoy doing and um, love it. So let's get started. What are we talking about today? I know we've been bouncing around between technical and non-technical. I think uh, last week we talked a little, uh, little business. What are we, uh, what are we talking about today, Chuck? Today we'll get a little bit more technical, but in simple terms uh, of a complex problem of scaling a blockchain. Good. You know? I need simple, Chuck. Chuck, I need yeah. simple. So let's dig into it. Uh, so what is scaling a blockchain? Why do we need to scale a blockchain? Right. When we, the reason we want to scale a blockchain is to increase the throughput of the transactions. And to scale a DAP or a blockchain network means to handle many users and transactions while maintaining its performance, security, and decentralization. You know, as the number of users and transactions on a DAP increases, uh, the blockchain network can become congested. Uh, it can lead to slow transaction processing times, high fees, uh, and reduced user experience. Right? As, you know, they've found out many ways to improve performance of a DAP, uh, of a performance of a DAP. And the blockchain is essential. Why is it important? It's because users expect fast and efficient transaction processing times. And a particular DAP uh, has many, many users. So we need, uh, or we want to improve adoption. We want more people to use it. Uh, but scaling a blockchain, Brian, is not the same as uh, a scaling a regular web app. You know, if I want more users, I just buy more hardware, you know, right. increase right. security. Uh, you know, it's so easy. But in blockchain, it's different because uh, the way it works is basically it's a trade-off, uh, meaning it has limitations. And that's why uh, it becomes complex. Uh, this, and, this, and there are very, very many strategies for scaling blockchain. And the three main goals, they have this term called blockchain trilemma. It's not a dilemma, but it's a trilemma. So it's three, exactly. Yeah. So uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's basically balancing security, scalability, and decentralization, right? However, blockchain makes it difficult to achieve all three goals simultaneously. So they have to make uh, trade-offs. Yeah, it's like the old, uh, the old uh, iron triangle, right? You can either have good, fast, good and cheap, cheap and fast, good and cheap, yeah. but you can't have it all, right? So you can only have two of the three. But uh, I believe you can get all three at, at some point with all this uh, reading up and all this stuff. And uh, at some point, we're going to get it. So I can't wait to hear the technical side of you know how all this stuff works. You know, this is similar in like project management too. You have like cost, scope, and you know, the three things that they balance. In healthcare, they have a triple aim, quality of care, 
you know, right. efficiency of care, cost of care, the three things. And similarly, they have these three things that they try to balance. Uh, so they have many, many strategies. Let's dig into that. Like I have about seven different strategies. We'll go into each one. Awesome. And then we'll dig into the details with examples, you know. Uh, so let's talk about the, just let me list out the different strategies and we'll dig into deeper. We have layer two scaling solutions. I will dig into more. And then there is something called sharding. Sharding means basically partitioning. Side chains is using other chains in parallel to your blockchain. Uh, interoperability means make, maybe give it off to some other chain to do some of the work or improve the way nodes cooperate with each other or increase the block, se- block size or use some combination of these, you know? So those are, the, let's get into each one. So layer two scaling solutions are like offset, off-chain solutions because they're not really on the main chain. There is on the side chain, right? To increase the throughput. Uh, they move most transactions and competitions of the main block, reducing. So, hey, then, Chuck, it's just so I have this right, because I'm, I'm just a layman here. So layer one, to my understanding, right, is the network itself, right, on the bottom yeah. it, it layer. And then layer two kind of sits on top and is off uh, offshoots of that, right? Yes. So yeah. let's say I have a network which is processing all my transactions, and there is another network on the side that does all the storage management or something, right? So instead of each writing a long thing, you can give it to something else to do the storage while I can move my transaction fast. Yep. That is one Makes way, sense. right? And there are other three or a couple of things. Uh, there is, let's get into each one, state channels, right? And I have a very good example. I think you will find it in a lot of examples. Let's say, Alice wants to buy coffee from Starbucks every day and she spends $5, right? Now she has to do a transaction, five, 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 like she has to do 20 transactions. Right. So that's, how do you reduce that 20 transactions with the layer two solution or with a state channel? What she could do is she could deposit $100 saying it is for me and Starbucks to use it, okay? And that is a state channel. She created a separate channel for those two guys with one transaction. Now, she has a receipt from that transaction, right? That receipt says, I have 100 bucks and Starbucks has zero. Now, every time she gets a uh, coffee, she updates that receipt and she keeps $80 or $95 and gives $5 to the Starbucks. So she manages this receipt outside of the network, right? And whenever Starbucks wants to take that money, they know how much money to take and that channel is closed. So it's only two transactions, but a lot of small transactions happen. So would it be similar? Was that would that be similar to somebody having that money in an account? So they have it in their account, and then you know they want to buy something from Starbucks, and then it comes out of their account. Is it similar to that? Yeah, but the, see, the thing is, 
that a transaction or a ledger is when an account is settled. So mm-hmm. in your account, you just allocate five bucks to Starbucks every time you take a cup. Right? The transaction has not happened, but the Starbucks can look at your account because of the transparency. Oh yeah, okay. she did allocate me for 10 bucks. She did allocate me five bucks. You know what right. I mean? Yep. So she's not really doing a transaction, but she's allocating some money to Starbucks every time she wants coffee. Got it. Okay. Right. So he can, the Starbucks can see, oh, now they allocated me 40 bucks or 50 bucks. And then every time more allocation happens, she, he gives him coffee. Now, when okay. the transaction is closed, either party can close it because she's sharing her signature with the Starbucks. Okay. After putting 100 bucks. So now he can also close that transaction. And when that transaction is closed, whatever was allocated to him, he gets it. And whatever was not allocated goes back to Alice. Okay. So those are kind of state channels that that are maintaining the state of the transaction between those two guys. Cool. Right. So that is reducing the number of transactions on a blockchain. Right. So that that is a very interesting way. Now, Plasma, and then the examples of these uh, state channels are like Lightning Network for Bitcoin. You know, they use that. And then the Plasma scaling solutions is for bringing a buildable, scalable, it's like a hierarchy of solutions, right? So for certain type of transactions, these guys handle, these nodes handle it. So not every node is competing to mine the block. For this type, so it creates a, Omis Go is a project that uses a Plasma framework, right? So that these child chains handle a subset of the transactions. Hmm, okay. So not everybody handles another transaction. And then the third one in a layer two solution is roll up uh, transactions, roll ups. There are a couple of ways to roll up. So instead of doing each transaction separately, you roll up a bunch of transactions to do it one time. Mm -hmm. So you get a bunch of transactions and you roll it out. So then if you're everybody, somebody takes a whole block and then does all the transactions and they're done. So that's a roll up. So to make it more efficient, batching up transactions. Right. right? Uh, Is a, so that's a ZK roll up and optimistic roll ups are a couple of things. So that is one strategy, right? Those are layer two solutions for scaling up. And then the other, the next strategy we talked about was sharding. Sharding is an interesting thing. Sharding basically means small pieces, right? Mm-hmm. If you exactly. break the glass into small shards. Right. Um, this, so you basically, you can do a couple of ways. You break the network into smaller pieces and each is capable of processing transactions independently of each other, right? This allows parallel processing, okay? And uh, right now, this is not there in Ethereum 2.0, but Ethereum 2.0, are you familiar with Ethereum 2.0? Yes, I am. I'm as familiar as I can be, let's put it that way, for a non-technical guy. Yeah, so Ethereum 2.0 is a huge project. 
because it has three phases to it. Okay. Phase one is what they completed in September, which is basically uh, changing a consensus mechanism from proof of work to proof of stake. Mm-hmm. Right. And they have two more things that they are doing to them. And that sharding uh, is coming in 2024, 2024. Okay. For Ethereum 2.0. So if you're somebody's building a blockchain app now and they will scale, nobody's getting a lot of users right now. Right. right. A, uh, so by the time 2024 comes, you will have Ethereum 2.0 doing sharding. And they also have an interesting uh, way to scale in Ethereum 2.0 for phase three, which is not scheduled yet, which is after sharding, which is called uh, WASM or something, WESM, WebAssembly uh, EVM. So they're changing their basic EVM and upgrading it. Okay. And that is supposed to process a lot more transactions, much more efficiently. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, so that is coming in Ethereum 2.0. Now coming to sharding, there is a lot of things that needs to happen uh, for sharding to work effectively. One is how are shard assigned? Like, you know, how is it, what shard does a node belong to? Right. right? And there's, there's a couple of ways. And then some can be randomized, some can be configured depending on where it is, which is a public network or a private network. And then there is how do these shards communicate with each other, right? Because the state has to be the same for all the nodes, right? And then how are the validations happen in these shards, mm-hmm. right? Each shard has its own set of validators responsible for verifying within that shard. And then what is the state of the entire network? Because these, each of these shards may be in different state. How is that state? So, and then the data, how is it the data available for all the nodes? Because right. sometimes you may be processing a net transaction, but you may be able to see the transaction from anywhere, right? The data availability. So these are, uh, it's a very powerful technique. Uh, by dividing the network into smaller parts. Uh, it's going to be a little challenging, but it, it's there's a lot of progress. And there are some examples that are already doing that. And if once Ethereum 2.0 comes, it will be seamless. Then there is the third uh, side chains, okay? Side chains are separate blockchains that run parallel to the main blockchain. They allow for as so this is the we talked about level two, right? Right. We said level two is also a separate network. But side chains are slightly different. They're also separate networks. But what they can do is if you look at a network, what is really on a network? Right? Uh, there are assets on the network, like somebody's money, uh, NFT, you know, uh, some data, some asset. Uh, some digital asset is on the network. Now, when you want to transact on this asset, right, or a part of this asset, like I have $100 and I want to give you $20, right? I'm transacting on that asset, right? So inside means 
what you could do is you transfer that asset to somebody else. Okay. Once the asset is transferred, it can be transacted there independently of this one. Huh. Instead of trying to do sharding or trying to do not sharding, but you know, your uh, state creating a state channel or a roll up or those kind of things that are happening on level two solutions. The side chains are basically they transfer the asset, huh. right? And certain side chains can handle certain type. Let's say you have uh, a digital images, right? You can create a side chain that is efficiently handling images and do processing on images, right? Change something to an image. Maybe as a particular side chain can do that effectively. So you, you transfer that asset to that side chain. It does whatever transactions it has to do on that asset. And then it, it can come back. So that is what right. And then the examples of that are liquid network or XDAI for Ethereum are examples of sidechain, right? But with, with sidechains, they have a different... Uh, so basically, even though the whole pay process of double payment, right? Let's say I have $100 or 100 Bitcoin in one blockchain, right? Once I transfer that to another blockchain, what if somebody takes 50 out of this one? Right. 50 out of that one. It gets messed up, right? So what they have to do is when... So my main account is still on this main blockchain, right? I have an account there and I have 50 Bitcoin there or 100 Bitcoin there. So when I have to do it is like, so let's say uh, there is a light liquid network is there. So when my $100 goes to this liquid network, Somebody has to lock this hundred dollars mm-hmm. so that nobody can touch it, right? So the way the side chains work is you have to first lock the asset, you transfer the asset, and the transaction is done. Then you can unlock the asset, hmm. right? So, so but there's an example. So let's say Alice wants to transfer one Bitcoin from Bitcoin main chain to a liquid chain side chain. She's, she sends, so the way they do it is she sends it to a special address, which is basically that is the multi-signature wallet. And that wallet is pretty much, it's locked in that wallet. Right. Right. And then this locks a one coin Bitcoin to the blockchain. And then Liquid Network then looks at it. Ah, this, this asset is locked. Right. Because they can look at the mainnet, this locked, and then they can allow the transactions on that. Right. Right, and then issues a one Bitcoin, whatever she wants to send it to, whoever she wants to send it to, she can send it, and after some time, that will come back and unlock it based on however it is. Right, so they make these transactions a lot easier. Uh, then there is the third. Uh, way is create a bunch of networks and make them operate with, interoperate with each other. Hmm. Right. Uh, and those are the example for that one is Polkadot, Cosmos right. and Avalanche. Right. These interoperability solutions allow for both asset and value transfers, right, between different blockchains. 
So you're on this blockchain, all the money moves here, you do whatever stuff and all the money moves back and everybody does different things. Uh, so basically it's a combination of subchains called parachains and then there is a relay chain, particularly for Polkadot, right? And then they have uh, built-in cross-chain communication, right? And one parachain may be optimized for DeFi and then another parachain may be optimized for gaming or one may be optimized for supply chain, you know? And by running these parachains in parallel, everybody gets, you know, a proper throughput. And now, and then, not yeah, and then does all that, then all that data gets transacted to the relay chain, the main yeah, chain? Yeah, the, the relay chain is managing the cross-chain communication, uh, who can validate, who is taking, who can work on whose behalf. And they have a concept called nominated proof of stake that I need to learn a little bit more, you know? So, so you can, there's a mechanism that you can work on behalf of them. Uh, right. So they're basically delegating between. Mm -hmm. So the main chain delegates it to a certain chain and then it does the thing for a specialized type of use cases, whether it's supply chain use cases or gaming or, you know, right. Uh, a DeFi. And then there is another substrate framework, a modular framework that simplifies the process of creating custom blockchains. So there is a way to create these parachains. Right. Yes, that whole Polkadot, first step is you're able to create different sites, parachains, allocate them for different games, and then they need. So those are the basic, all those things involve uh, multiple chains. Now, what if I don't want to do multiple chains? I have a small Ethereum network, and I don't want, but I still want to improve the scale. So there's right. two ways, right? One is the consensus algorithms, you know, because consensus algorithms means how long. So the, they, we have two main consensus algorithms that are most popular. Uh, and there are some on Hyperledger called proof of authority. If you're authorized to do a transaction, then you can do it. Those are much faster. Mm -hmm. The most common one that really affects scaling are proof of work and proof of stake. And we all know proof of work is very energy consuming and slow and, you know, where everybody has to prove that they have done so much work before they can mine a block. Right. At and least 50% right? every, every, every yeah. Right? Yeah. Sorry, Brian, I interrupted you. Oh, no, I just said, yeah, no, proof of work just is a, with every added node that goes on in the network, it's, it just becomes more work because 51% has to approve it. Yeah. And, and the proof of stake is where somebody stakes uh, a certain amount of uh, tokens and based on some other parameters like how old the token is and, you know, whatever it is, they get to privileged mining, basically, proof, proof of stake, right? The more privileged a node is, the more it can Mike, and, and the, the the cool thing about proof of stake is it's not limited. It's not controlled by anybody. Anybody can stake it, whatever they have, right? So nobody's stopping anybody from staking. Right. Uh, so it still maintains that decentralized capability, right? Uh, so 
by changing the consensus algorithm, we can improve scal scalability by itself without adding another chain to the equation. Right? And then the another interesting thing is increasing the block size. Right? So uh, the, the block size uh, of a network, like basically blockchain is a series of blocks, right? And each block has a certain number of transactions. Right. And to mine each block, let's say a block size can only do 10 transactions. Then for the next mine to be, this block has to be fully mined before the next set of 10 can happen. Right. And then the next set of 10 can happen. Right. So let's say if I increase the block, I can do 100 at a time. Like if I increase the block size by 10 times, then I can do 100 at a time. Right? So would that make it, in theory, I mean, is that going to make it faster or, I mean... What yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm now doing, a, yeah, it does make it faster because I can do more transactions quickly. Okay. Right? Because let's say I'm doing, in a, the actual writing of a block is less time, particularly in a proof of a, a, a work scenario. I do a lot of work for like 10 minutes and then I finish the block in one second. Right. Right. So if I am working for 10 minutes to prove that I have done the work. Now, if I can do 100 transactions instead of 10, my, I reduce my cost per transaction by 10 times. Hmm. Makes right? sense. Because, so when, when mining means writing a block, really, you're finalizing right. a block. Yep. Right. And I'm spending so much energy and effort to mine 10 transactions versus 100 transactions. Right. Which is like reduces the a lot and improves throughput. Uh, the, the thing is, it's that is one way to do it. And block size is like, if you think of improving block size as if you're adding more lines to the highway, so you can get more throughput. Mm -hmm. However, it is important to note that Increasing a block size isn't a perfect solution, particularly uh, now you're requiring these nodes to have a lot of space. Right. So the little guys won't be able to join. Right. So the vision for blockchain, ideally, uh, Brian, is not right now, but 10 years from now, everybody will run a small node on their cell phone. Right. Uh, so your cell phone is part of, is, is connected to the network. Blockchain. Yes. Right. So in those times, you really want really tiny block sizes. You may not validate any, but at least you can have data. So this is definitely a short term solution if you're having uh, doing this. But interestingly, when you change blocks, blocks, changing block size is not a trivial thing. Okay, if, on a public chains, it's very, very difficult to change because you have to coordinate configuration on thousands of nodes. Everybody has to upgrade their nodes and then right. redo it. But it is a very good option for private blockchains. Right. Another ch problem with the block size is uh, that if you change the block size, what happens is in a private Ethereum, at least, because it's a fewer number of nodes, 
you can get agreement easier and it's a very simple way to update a client configuration and restart the notes and it's done boom right and it's really beneficial because the only thing you need to think in terms of box size is when there are not a lot of transactions if, if a block fits uh, 10 100 transactions but you're only processing 10 every second and you want to write every second right. you're wasting nine, a lot of block space right but on a smaller uh, networks that's not a big thing and then you get much faster transaction processing right and then when spikes happen extra space will really help so that that's uh, a easy way to do it and then finally the last one is always some combination of the above six strategies right depending on a specific use case that we are using you know de- depending on the type of network you're building or is it a private network uh, and you're doing a certain specific use case you may want to do some layer, layer to scaling some block size optimizations some PO, uh, you know consensus algorithm optimizations right so you can pretty much pick and choose any of these yeah and there's you know what 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 i what i've found or, or what i've seen is there's there's nothing that's really really in play yet like a, to a very large scale that we're like hey this this hits all three of those areas right and it can scale big time and it has high still high security and and is is highly decentralized right so um you know it's it's this is the fun part over the next like you said next few years of ethereum 2.0 coming out and and uh, polka dot doing new things and and uh it's it's pretty exciting times within the within the space because there's the scalability has to be figured out Yes, and, and then the the challenge. If we see, we only talked about scaling and how to scale, right? Let's talk about how insecure we make things, right? Let's say I have assets on one blockchain, right? To scale it, I'm now sending it to a different blockchain. Now I have two places I have to manage security, right? We don't know who is managing that set of network right so you are kind of compromising a little bit on the security by using a scaling solution right and then we are we are making it more decentralized but less secure so the whole idea of this trade offs is we can only achieve any two of them we can get security and decentralization and not have scalability or we can have scalability and decentralization not have security or we can have scalability and security but not have decentralization right so if we if we go through a small network and only a few people are authorizing nodes if we limit the number of validators right we are making it more centralized but then we can really make it secure and scalable because there's there's not a lot of contention Yeah, no, it makes that it makes it makes sense. We just I mean, I I guess the main question is like why why is scaling so important, you know? Why why is it so important? I guess that's the main question. Why why are so many companies out there trying to trying to scale? 
so if let's say if I have an app on uh, a game on Ethereum mainnet, right? If not private networks, but public networks. If I have a game on mainnet, my transaction fees, the the more congestion there is, the more my transaction fees are. Right. The more expensive it becomes. Right. So I want to offload a lot of that to some other way, some other side chain or somewhere else. Right. So it's it's really about cost and then the performance. If a transaction takes, you know, 10 seconds or three seconds to do something. Right. So you definitely scale is. And that's why people have spent so much time and energy into these things. So you really yeah you know I, I th- it, it was just kind of a, a question why I mean I, I think scalability is is key to the to the growth of of adoption overall to blockchain and corporations and, and people because um, frankly Bitcoin and Ethereum are very slow at transaction speed right so whereas what is it if yeah. I remember it's uh you know Visa has something like twenty four thousand transactions a second and uh, you got Bitcoin at seven and seven seven not seven thousand but seven and ethereum at like 15. so i know i mean that's a pretty big gap and for it to scale to a very big level i mean it's yeah and scaling right on two ways i guess scaling to people to uh, where it's it's used widely which it's which why i love i love blockchain technology it's it's as I've said since episode one, right? It's power back to the people. It's it's a decentralized network. There's no entity controlling it. That's what I think is, I think that's what we're going to. And, you know, we've had people control things for so long. And this, this is time that people anywhere, like, I mean, it's something that you said was, hey, we're all going to run something on our, on our a mobile phone. Well, you know, I'm sure people laugh at that, but heck, we've only had an iPhone for since 2008. So, I mean, and look how, I have more power in my hand than we've had basically in the history of computing. So it's uh, it's pretty amazing what's coming. Yeah. So this is, I think things will be figured out. And I think you went over some awesome solutions um, and, and, you know, help me understand. I, again, I'm just a, I'm, I'm a theory guy and, and uh, I don't know all this technology stuff very well. I know in, in theory, uh, but I, I love having you explain it. Yeah. yeah, do it. Let's open it to the callers, Brian. Hey, guys, Shiva, Namo, and Charlie, feel free to uh, step in. Add yourself to the caller queue. and uh, Not everybody at once. <laughs> I'm going to invite you guys to speak. Hey, this is an important and wide area of uh, understanding of uh, scaling. So like uh, compromising on what you mentioned in the chat, like compromising on the decentralized and the security is not going to limitation on the blockchain. So the, the very nature of uh, scaling, uh, Shiva, unfortunately, you have to... Uh, the more people they are, right, the slower it is, yeah. right? So the, the way the technology is, you are going to let go uh, either security or decentralization whenever you increase scale. So mm-hmm. some solutions uh, reduce decentralization or make it more centralized 
and some make, make it more uh, le- less secure. So some something you has to give, and it really depends on what oh, your use case is. Yeah, that's yeah, that's. So I think eventually the use case, what, there's going uh, to be a solution that you can scale as well as have tight security as well as be decentralized. So I believe that's where we're going. I believe it will be figured out um, as we've start we've started to see new areas of of uh, you know, Polkadot, for instance, and there's Kusama and whatnot. So they're coming up with new ways to to fast transactions, um, different things. So it's just going to take time, right? It's going to, there's a lot of smart people out there and there's a lot of money. <laughs> there's a lot of money that's, that could be made. Yes. So that's, again, going to push and, and somebody's going to figure it out. Yeah, not, not only that, uh, my gut feel is, we're still in the very early stages on how much we can process, right? So Ethereum 2.0, when the way Ethereum was built, right? It was built in a very theoretical way based on papers. So the the Ethereum bytecode is very space, closely tied to the machine language, and it doesn't really have all the optimizations that modern languages have. So when they build the new EVM, it will have a lot of the optimizations and it also has support for more languages. Right now, Solidity is the only language on Ethereum, right? Once it opens up to more languages like Python or Java or C, there will be a floodgate of different people writing apps. Right? And it will be really big and the adoption will be right now. The barriers to entry in this space are really high because the technology is so complex. The tool sets are also developing. There is a new language that is very uh, highly technical. A lot, a lot of language capabilities are there. So as that grows up, I think it, it goes much faster. Mm-hmm. Thanks. No, I don't have anything else. That was uh, that was. So I, I think uh, we covered everything we wanted to cover, Brian. And uh, yeah, I just think there's a lot of room. Uh, again, like you said, we're in the very beginning stages of all this stuff, and it's just it's, it's exciting. You can come back next week, and there's going to be three or four more examples of what new stuff is coming out. So exciting times. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> exactly. No, it's so much is changing so fast. Uh, yeah. Thank you. Okay. I'll just let's thank our users. Uh, no more, Charlie and Shiva. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Have a great week. Thank you. Uh, thank you, guys. Appreciate uh, for it. being part of our podcast. Appreciate it very Cheers. much, Brian. Until next week. Thank you. Okay. Bye bye.